On this episode of The Strongcast, South Carolina Congressman Tom Rice. Uh, we're sitting down with Congressman Tom Rice and an exclusive, his first interview since voting um, to impeach President Trump back in January. And we welcome him to our platform. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. My great pleasure, Uncle Sean. You know, you know, we all have attended weddings. Uh, I've certainly attended many in my life. And when they administered a vow, is they read it out and they say in, in sickness and better for sickness and health until death us do part. Are the spouse says making an oath to each other or to God? Uh, well, I never have really thought about that. I think it's to each other in in the presence of God. But who's who are they making the oath to? To each other in the presence of God. Um based on the commandments and based on the teachers and the moral morality of what is expected in marriage? Uh, based on the, uh, what's called, that's a, that's a right. That is a right of the Christian church. Right. So the commitment is before God. So let me tell you where I'm going with this. Okay. So when you're elected as a member of Congress, and though you're elected by your voters, when you give your oath is it to the Constitution or to your voters? My oath is to protect the Constitution. The Constitution. Yes, absolutely. Similar to the Bible then, with the married couples. Yes. So there we go, we're making progress. So many people will say that your loyalties are to your constituencies first, but others who are conscious and principled say, no, there's a higher oath to my conscience, which is the Creator. So no matter what sometimes voters may think that is best, sometimes elected officials and sometimes people feel they have a higher purpose and why they make the kind of decisions that they make. Well, when I take an oath, I take it seriously. Yes. And so obviously my first job is to protect and defend the Constitution. Uh, and, I will, and I will represent my district uh, in, the, in light of that obligation and that oath that I accepted. There was a, uh, this kind of long lines you were talking about. There was a, a famous British par parliamentarian named Edwin Burke, uh, one of the most respected legislators uh, in modern times in the last few hundred years. And he wrote once that your representative owes you not only his, his hard work, but also his judgment. And he fails you if he sacrifices that to your opinion. So now, that brings us to your judgment as the elected official. Because sometimes I think what we need to do is put in context that sometimes everything is not political. Everything is not about the win and gaining inches. Obviously, for the vote that you took to impeach the president, not only was it a conscientious vote, but you felt you had a higher purpose in making that vote. Talk about that. Well, uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, our Constitution was stepping back. I believe that God has assembled men and women in pivotal times in history. Okay. Uh, the apostles, uh, 
the, uh, the folks in Florence around the Renaissance uh, and at the time that our Constitution, our country was formed and our Constitution was written. And what those men were able to establish and to foresee is had there had to be the divine participation in that process. I believe that to my core. One of the ways that they protected the people from tyranny was that they didn't want to vest power in any one person or any one even branch of government. They tried to spread it out as much as they reasonably could. So they created three branches of government, each with separate powers. The judicial branch, obviously, to resolve conflicts, the legislative branch to make the laws, and the administrative branch to carry out those laws and administer the country. And they foresaw and they wrote about the fact that each one of those branches vested with that power would want to protect it, not give it up, jealously protect those powers. Over time, uh, in the last few hundred years, too much of the legislative authority has been ceded to the administration to where we have almost this fourth branch of government, which consists of unelected bureaucrats. And once they have power, they don't want to get and a lot of the frustration I think the public feels is because of these vested bureaucrats that act maybe in their own interest and not necessarily in the interest of the people. And they don't respond to the people. They don't have to answer to the people because they're not elected. Well, this event on January 6th was, in my opinion, the latest iteration of an erosion of the legislative power, where the administration, in my opinion, tried to bully the legislature into saying, if you don't vote my way, then I'm going to beat you up. And if 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 that's allowable, <laughs> if that's okay, then we might as well not have a legislature. And we might as well give the legislative authority to the executive branch. That was a, absolutely a fundamental attack on our Constitution. And I, I couldn't stand for it. I couldn't stand I, I, I couldn't allow that. So some would say this, Congressman. Well, look. All the brokers in this process were corrupt. Uh, the Democrats are hypocritical. Pelosi and her team pulled this together at the last minute, these guidelines. And why would you vote for a corrupt process and everybody's corrupt? I understand you're wanting to be principled. I understand the oath that you're taking. But if you're dealing with an entire corrupt system, I mean, then they protect their own and why not protect your own? I think there's certainly mistakes made all the way around, but I believe that uh, as as uh, Kevin McCarthy has said, Mitch McConnell has said, Lindsey Graham has said, dozens of other national leaders have said the president bears a primary responsibility for what happened on January 6th, and it was a horrible day for our country. Uh, it did not result in the toppling of our government, but it could have, and it has certainly undermined our government and will going forward. I want to take this conversation somewhere else, because I think this is a conversation that is absolutely necessary to have, but for different reasons. What happens to a nation when parents don't teach their children the moral way, not to steal, not to lie, to protect themselves and save themselves to marriage, to be good neighbors, to be honorable, not judge people 
based on race, but by the content of their character, not by the content of their skin. What happens when parents decide that they want to be their kids' friends and don't set the moral example? And sometimes it can be tough. The kid may dislike them for a week or two, but they know in the end they will, they will make them citizens, productive citizens of society. Because it seems as though there are very few good men that are willing to stand on principle on godly principles, no matter the consequences, because you may do well in the short term, but when you think about the long term and where we're headed as a nation, it is important when you think of people like Reagan and Washington and Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman, these are people who are willing to sacrifice their own because they felt there was a higher purpose for their lives and they're willing to die for it. Uh, well, going back to your question, I think, uh, what happens to the country when we lose our moral compass, when we don't have that anymore. And I think that the answer is decay and ultimate uh, failure uh, of the country. And Thomas Jefferson certainly predicted that when he said, no, I'm sorry, it was either Hamilton or Jefferson said that our system of government is drawn for a moral people. And when they lose that, it will fail. Uh, now, I'm not saying that that's where we are today. I think certainly there are problems with, uh, uh, with some parents who don't properly raise their children or teach them the moral way or teach them the value of work or the dollar or, uh, or marriage or the church. But I, I still think most people do. And I think that our government has, uh, with divine intervention at our at the creation of our country uh, has resulted in the most prosperous place on earth that uh, has, has encouraged more innovation than anywhere on earth and that has created more opportunity for everyone than anywhere else on earth. I don't believe we're perfect, certainly. I think there are always ways that we can improve but I do think it's terribly important, uh, fundamentally important, if we're going to continue to exist, that that you know, the bulk of people uh, believe in the rule of law, believe in in uh, morality, and and believe in uh, self responsibility and the work ethic. Talk about the morality. Let's move to the the body politic now. Um, the issue of immigration. When you see thousands of these kids on the U.S. southern borders coming here. Um, and you know many of them are being trafficked. They're being used. People are being paid. And there's always already reports that they have COVID-19. And then America continues to suffer. Can't take care of their own. Continue to suffer from the storms and all the tragedies that have befelled us, the pandemic, the COVID-19. Talk about the morality of trying to bring these thousands of kids, and you got to take care of them. I mean, they cannot speak the language. They cannot work on jobs. Um, you really got to take care of them, and the kind of resources that take. And, and how, um, how can we find ourselves bringing them into a situation where you can never, ever, ever live up to their expectations of what they see when they come to America? Okay. Uh, I, I, I want to answer that question, but I want to go back quickly to one other thing, that the second part of your first question that I didn't get to about these people like Frederick Douglass and others who are willing to sacrifice their very lives for this country. Uh, at some point, 
you know, I'm a Republican. I was elected as a Republican. Uh, Republicans primarily voted for me. Uh, but at some point, the team sport aspect of the country, just like these people that you talked about that were willing to sacrifice their lives for our country, that has got to step aside to preserve the country. And sometimes we got to vote past the team sport and, and in the way that preserves the Constitution, preserves our form of government, preserves this land of opportunity that has lifted so many millions out of poverty and given them hope. And that's what my vote was about <laughs> on January the 13th or whatever the date of the, of the vote was. And coming back to your question about uh, the southern border, I totally agree that we need a real border, that we're not a real country if we don't have a real border. People don't understand that we, we take more people in legally every year than any other country on earth by far almost double the high, the next highest, I think, is Germany. We allow 1.1 million legal immigrants per year. People don't understand that. And then they think that this debate is about whether we're going to have any immigration. Of course we're going to have immigration. We just have to decide. There has to be a consensus between the people here in Washington about what that level ought to be, and then we should stop it over that. Now, the problem at the southern border creates really fundamental problems in our in our country, but particularly for people who are on the low end of the economic ladder. Because number one, we have we have an endless stream of people who are willing to work for nothing. Practically nothing. So what so the people on the lower end of the economic ladder have to compete with that. And what chance do they have to climb the economic ladder? If there are 10 people who are here illegally who are willing to do the jobs that, that, that real Americans here on the low end of the economic ladder are willing to do, but these other people work for nothing. How are, they, how are the, the real Americans supposed to get a job and move up the economic ladder? So that's one huge problem with illegal immigration. The second problem with controlling our, our southern border is the flow, I mean, the, the the crime, the, the gang activity and the drugs. Uh, I hadn't looked this year, but uh, year before last, seven, 72, uh, 72,000 people were killed by opioids. Huh. Something like 90% of it came across our southern border. I mean, I, I, know, I know people whose children or whose families have suffered from a death from opioids. Uh, and it's coming across our, so our southern border, and it kills more people than guns and traffic combined. You know, when you talk about death by firearm and you take out the suicides and you add it to traffic deaths, opioids kill more than both of those things combined. And that's coming across our southern border. And if we're going to have an open, porous southern border, the idea that we would do anything to eliminate ICE <laughs> or to make immigration and custom, uh, uh, customs enforcement less effective, well, you're killing people. You're killing the very people you say you represent when you want to do that. Talk about, continue the conversation about trade in China. Yeah, uh, I loved what President Trump did with China. You know, uh, China is a is a bully, an international bully. And they will enter agreements knowing that they're not going to honor them. And will, as soon as your head is turned or it's not convenient for them, make no pretense about honoring. They steal our intellectual property. They uh, they manufacture false goods. They 
manipulate their currency. They subsidize uh, entire industries to try to destroy competing industries in other countries so that they'll have a monopoly. They are, uh, they spy on us. They use our own universities to do their research to, uh, to and, and co-opt our own technology. Uh, they are terrible actors, and you have to have a strong personality to take them on. President Trump has done a great job, in my opinion, of beginning that process with the tariffs that he imposed. Uh, I sit on the Trade Subcommittee in Ways and Means, and uh, I, I consistently, when questions were raised, uh, helped them to respond and back them up. Uh, unfortunately, the COVID uh, COVID disaster stopped President Trump's advance on China. I think it would have picked back up when we got past the COVID uh, event, but it, it, I hate to see Pre uh, President Biden backing up on it. I think going back to what President uh, Trump had started will be difficult. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.